as you're being seated this morning. We are talking in this series on spiritual disciplines about worship. And I must say to you that some of my most powerful memories in my walk with the Lord have come from times of worship. I remember years ago when Promise Keepers was a men's movement that gathered thousands of men across this country. I ended up in Columbia, South Carolina in Williams Brass Stadium with 47,000 men. I still remember singing at 8 o'clock in the morning, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty with those men and recalling how that sound just reverberated uh, off those stadium walls and down the city streets in Columbia. It indeed was a remarkable morning for me. I remember years ago also on a Tuesday night uh, at camp, I had taken students to youth camp at Fort Caswell. It was a Tuesday night, and Clayton King, who now pastors down at New Spring Church, was to be the, uh, was the speaker. He got up that night to preach and said, I can't. He said, I can't tell you why, but I can't start the sermon yet. And then folks began to get up, student after student after student, and walk down that aisle and give their lives to Christ. Clayton King never preached that night. Never preached that night, but tens of students gave their lives to Christ. It was several years ago before we met even in this building that it was a Sunday morning worship. We were meeting in the attic. I got up to preach and told Dave, that's happened a few times here, but I said, Dave, I think we need to sing that song again. He began to sing and people began to walk forward and kneel at the altar to pray. I looked over to my right. I saw a couple that I had met with that week. I was convinced upon meeting with them that week that their marriage was probably done. But they had come that morning. They had come and knelt to pray. And they are still married today. The Holy Spirit did at the altar what, what years of counseling perhaps would not have done. Worship is this awesome opportunity that we get to do, not have to do. We get to worship, don't we? So this morning, I'm going to talk about why we worship and then how from this passage, why we worship. Uh, and I will say to you, and those of you I've taught in school, this is, this is a morning to, where you've got to sit back, all right? Backs up. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to dive into the deep end for a bit theologically, so stay with me. I remember one, uh, I think it was semester before last when I was teaching at Montreat. It was early on, it was rainy something, but they couldn't stay awake, and so I just made my class stand. So um, if I see you falling asleep, I'm just going to call your name and have you stand up. You think I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, so. Let's look at why we worship. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest 
over the house of God. You see the word since twice, all right? So why do we worship? We have confidence. That word confidence, the nuance of it means based on freedom of speech, we can courageously come into the holy place. So I have a burden of communication today, and here it is. Uh, Because you and I are so far removed from the Old Testament way of worship that it does not affect us how we ought to think about how hard it was to enter the holy place. But the holy place was this uh, room in the temple uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And the Ark of the Covenant had a mercy seat. And the mercy seat was where the priest once a year came, the high priest, and he would take the blood of a lamb. And it was called the Day of Atonement. And he would put the blood on the mercy seat to atone. The word means cover the sins of the people for a year. And then the next year, it would be done again. Only one person, before Jesus' death, only one man could enter God's presence and only once a year. But after Jesus' death, any believer can enter any time. Now, we struggle to get that. Why? We have never known the time when only one man could enter his presence only once a year. But before Christ, that's how it was. So how did the radical change occur? The writer answers the question. He, Jesus, opened up the new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his Flesh. Let me talk about the curtain for a moment. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was not your ordinary J.C. Penney curtain. It was nine inches thick. It was substantial. It was to protect the people, are you ready for this, from the presence of God. You say, Jerry, you mean they needed protection from the presence of God? Yes. We struggle to get that these days because when you're watching reality TV and somebody gets their living room made over, what do they say? Oh, my God. There's a cultural shift that has taken place when God is not held in high regard and his presence is not considered to be that remarkable of a thing. So we have a problem of thousands of years of a system we're not used to. We have a cultural problem that we must get through that to see God as he is. How did this radical change occur? By the new and living way. This word new, interesting word means recently slaughtered. That's the nuance of the word. Freshly killed. How can something be freshly killed and living? 
That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Only if it died and rose from the dead. That's the only way the writer of Hebrews can talk about a new and living way. It is new, meaning it is newly killed, but it is living because Jesus, when he died on the cross, three days later rose from the dead. Amen? That is the crux, the center of our hope as his people. Look at this, this new and living way that he opened for us, past tense, once for all, through the curtain. That is through his flesh. Let's talk about the curtain for a moment. So the curtain had two functions. One was to protect the people from the powerful presence of God on this side. And on this side was to be a boundary to the very presence of God. People on this side... God's glory on this side. That's going to matter in just a moment. But let's look at how awesome God is. Moses is called upon the mountain to meet with God. Here's how it's described. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Why? God's coming to the mountain. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. What? Yeah. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. That's our God. When he descends, the mountain is wrapped in smoke. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. When God stepped on the mountain, the mountain could not stay in its place. It trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. That's our God. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and what? Die, perish. What? God says, if they get through, They'll die. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. That's our God. God said if they get through, they'll die. The curtain, which from one point of view kept God and mankind apart, can be thought of a from another point of view, is bringing them together. For it was one and the same curtain, which on one side was in contact with the glory of God and on the other was in contact with the feebleness of man. Did you remember where 
Where is it? Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So why was the incarnation, God becoming man, so huge? Why is it even necessary? Because that's the only way. If the flesh is the curtain and the curtain had the glory of God on one side and the humanity of man on the other, then when God became man in Jesus, he wrapped up the glory of God with his body. He wrapped up. He, he was a curtain. He was the, the meeting point of the holiness of God and the humanity. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is what, church? It's more. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is it's more. In Christ, in is wrapped up the glory of God, the radiance of God. And occasionally, you'd see it burst through, wouldn't you? He goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and all of a sudden, he's transfigured before their eyes, and they're just bug-eyed. They're blown. Their minds blown, aren't they? But what specifically did Jesus do on the cross? Mark 15, 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died, that nine-inch thick curtain literally torn in two. So verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, he, he went in, right? High priest did once a year. He went once for all. His death once for all opened the way. Barclay said someone might be able to direct a tourist who asked the way to Buckingham Palace and yet be very far from having the right to take that person into the presence of the queen. But Jesus can take us the whole way. Yeah, he did. That's why we worship because we get in. So how? How do we worship? Look at this. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What do we see here? We see three let us statements. And these are the hows of worship. How do you worship? Just like it says right here. If the way is open, if we get into the holy place, if we can get where God is and and we're not going to die, Right, if we can get into the holy place of God and not die, what do we do? What do we do? First of all, we draw near. Secondly, we hold fast. Third, we stir up one another. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Come close now. Come close because Jesus has. In Jesus, God came near so that we could come near. How do we come near? With a true heart. 
meaning not faking it, just owning whatever, whoever you are, owning however you are, whatever situation you come in, to the person who messaged from Facebook this morning, yes, God loves you just the way you are, but loves you way too much to leave you like that. Right, just come just as you are in full assurance of faith. Overflowing confidence is what that means, not timid. Notice the contrast to the mountain in Moses, right? They're frightened. They're terrified. No, 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 not anymore. We have full assurance of faith. Why? Our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, salvation, deliverance from sin is an inside-outside job. Our hearts are sprinkled clean. The body washed with water is a picture of baptism. Baptism, an outward sign of an inward work of God. But he starts from the inside out. That's why one of our values here at Grace is heart change that leads to life change. You could do all kinds of stuff, go to 12-step programs, you can, and, and there's nothing wrong with those, but you could do that. You can go to counseling, you can do all kinds of things. But unless there's a change in here, there will be nothing lasting out here. Nothing. Every year we go to Senegal, Africa. And in Senegal, as in other places in Africa, there's a danger of malaria. And so you have two choices to fight the malaria. One is to keep yourself completely covered. Completely cover all parts of your body, right? And that way no mosquito can bite you and you won't get malaria. But the challenge with that is it's it's 100 plus degrees there. You do that, you won't get malaria, but you won't get far. It's hot. Or you could take a pill before you leave and while you're there and after you return, that should you be bitten by a mosquito that might be carrying malaria, it would fight it off. That's the way God works. He doesn't clothe us and tell us to work hard to stay clothed. No, he goes to the very inside so that should you be bitten by sin, it will not be deadly. Why? Because your hearts are sprinkled clean. Grew up singing old songs, as you know, shared that before. And as I was working on this sermon, that old hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount. I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, the hymn writer says, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing. This my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
And for whatever reason, we grew up just singing a few of the, all the verses. I don't know if you did that in your church, but like one, two, and four or something like that. I think we assumed that the hymn writer just kind of fell asleep on verse three. Maybe it wasn't worth singing, but every time it was one, two, and four. Never knew this verse existed until this week. Now by this I'll overcome. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near. Our hearts are sprinkled clean. Don't let shame keep you out. Second, let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast means keep firm possession of. It's what it sounds like. The word confession occurs six times in the New Testament, three of them in the book of Hebrews, and it means hold fast to what you believe. Hold fast to what you believe. This reminds me, uh, I, I can't swim hardly at all, like I'm horrible. And so about once a year, I'll jump in the pool just to make sure that I might could survive if I started to drown, just, just for good measure. So two or three years ago, I went over to Eugene and Gina Hollins on the lake, and he said, we're going to take the boat out. And I'm like, that's fun. As long as I'm in the boat, I'm good on water. So that's fun. And then he said, uh, we're going to go tubing. Well, that's not fun. I don't understand. I've got a perfectly good seat right here. It fits me. Why do I want to be slung around on a piece of rubber? Makes no sense, but it's supposed to be fine. Well, when your young teenager says, come on, Dad, what are you going to do? You look like a total wuss. So I get out on the inner tube, life jacket, and what do I do? I hold fast <laughs> to my confession that if I let go, I'll drown. Because I don't trust the life jacket. I have trust issues, control issues, however you want to counsel me. Uh, but uh, I held on for dear life. Eugene thought, that's not good. So he sped up. <laughs> I thought, oh, I got to hold on tighter. So I did. He sped up. I'm like, I hate him. I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to die. And the boat's getting faster and faster. And I'm thinking, if you don't let go, like you're going to lose an appendage. You know, this is not how this game goes. Let go. I had to tell myself to let go. I would say to you that you have to, by the way, Eugene won. You, you have to get to a place in your faith not that you have to tell yourself to hold on, but you've hold on for so long that you have to tell yourself to let go. Hold fast. Why? Look at this. Because he is faithful. You hold fast because he's holding you fast. I don't fully understand that, but I believe it. I don't understand, I'm just being honest, how my holding fast and his holding fast 
exactly works in its very technical sense. But I've been in situations with my kids where I said, I've got you, but you hold on to me. That's all I can make of that. Let us hold fast our confession. Back to Africa. It was our first trip to Senegal ever. New language, new languages, new people. I had never traveled in a Muslim country, 95% Muslim. And for some reason, and I think it's probably because we're stripped of our normal things, worship on a mission trip is special. Don't know if you've ever been on one, but if you haven't, and the Lord is leading, you should do it. But there's something about worship on a mission trip. And so we were out in the village, and they prepared dinner for us over a fire. There was no electricity. Darkness was moving in. We had just eaten out of large round bowls, rice, and then some vegetables, and then meat. And the meat part of it was goat tongue. Yeah, I know. I have a general practice of not eating anything that could taste me, you know, while I'm just something. And so, and I'm just praying, no, 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 don't kick it in my slice of the pie. That's the rule. But we ate. Darkness was moving in, and we had bought these little glow-in-the-dark bracelets, necklace things, and we'd given them to all the kids. And if there's no electricity, that's a big deal, right? Light everywhere. And uh, for some reason, everybody on that trip, I think there were 15, 16 of us, we all could sing and harmonize. It, it was beautiful. And we all, for whatever reason, knew the old songs. And we all had a measure of the unknown and fear. I'll never forget sitting around and the embers of that fire dying down and I just began to sing. I care not today what tomorrow may bring if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arms, I'm living by faith and I feel no alarm. And in the starlit dark night, all we saw was little bracelets. And they came, kids, as they heard us sing. And they gathered around. And we continued. I know that he safely will carry me through, no matter what evils betide. Why should I then care though the tempest may blow? 
If Jesus walks close by my side, we worshiped. We held fast the confession. Number three, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Worship is to be both vertical and horizontal. Both vertical and horizontal. You say, what do you mean? We ought to have this attitude, Jesus, I want to make you great, and others, I want to make you better. Our worship ought to make Jesus great and others better. You should think differently than when you came in here this morning. And you should feel differently than when you came in this morning. It's true. Worship ought to do that. And we are to stir one another up. That word is provoke. And so our team is going to come. We're going to sing some more songs. But love and good works. There should be a feeling of love in this place that you feel loved by God and loved by others and spurred on to worship him. And then there ought to be action, good works not neglecting to abandon, to meet together, as is the habit of some. Already in the early church, some had stopped attending. Sadly, the average worship attendance today, what is considered normal, is two times a month. That is the new norm for average. Gosh, when I was a kid, it was 12 Right, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three times a week, four weeks a month, two. I lovingly say to you, if you fall in that category, if you can be in worship but you choose not to be, there is something you are surely missing. There's the mutual love of the family. And there's hopefully seeing God in Christ and sensing the Spirit in a way that's not before. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? The return of Christ. F.F. Bruce says this, each successive generation is called up to live as the generation of the end time if it is to live as a Christian generation. Each generation is called to live as a generation of the end time if it is to live as a Christian generation. We're going to worship. And this morning, uh, by singing, and this morning, if you need to come, I'll be here, James is here, others, we'd love to come around you and pray with you.